Hey everyone, it's Ethan Waldman, and you are listening to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Today, we have Ella Don Jenkins on the show. But before we jump into that, I just want to remind you to subscribe to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. We're putting out new episodes with Tiny House luminaries, DIY experts, and Tiny House dwellers every single week. And the best way not to miss an episode is to subscribe. You can do that through iTunes on your computer, through the Apple Podcasts app on your phone, or through whatever app you like to use to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast today. Now, on to our guest. Ella Dawn Jenkins is a harpist, artist, and singer-songwriter in the Bay Area who lived in 120 square feet with two people and a big floppy dog for over five years. Ella was an early blogger in the tiny house movement and was an early inspiration for me while I was building my own house. Ella, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ethan. It's good to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So the the tiny house landscape was a lot different when when you started building. I was curious if you could kind of take us back, uh, tell us, you know, how many years ago was that now that you started on this journey and what was it that attracted you to tiny houses? So I first heard about them um, by complete coincidence, just a like a Yahoo homepage story that was like totally enthralling to me. And I pretty much decided in a very short period of time that that was like definitely something I was going to do because housing is so expensive in all the beautiful parts of the world, especially uh, California and the Bay Area and all that good stuff. So um, I think it was 2010 when I was first aware of them. And then I just, you know, geeked out on it for like a whole year. I had one year left in college at that time. And then um, when I got done, I started, I got um, home from college, back to California. I started building, I think it was, let's say, I guess it was September of 2011. Was it 2011? Was it 2012? I think it was 2011. Yeah. So um, it was definitely a lot less like, there were like however many blogs there were. I'm trying to think of how many, maybe, maybe like there could have been 20. Um, I, I had about five that I sort of like attached myself to and tried to read it like really thoroughly, but there was basically like nothing. <laughs> it was like, there were those blogs and that was like it. It was really, it was really not, not anything like it is now with like, I think I saw in one of the Facebook groups the other day, somebody like had a, showed a picture of like a it was like a toy, like a, tr- a toy truck that was like towing a toy tiny house. And I was like, oh my God, we've hit the big time. Like, we're like, we're a toy. Tiny houses are a toy. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know you've made it, right? They're making plastic tiny house toys. Definitely, yeah. So you you saw this homepage story and you were like, I am going to do this. And so then you did. And one of the things that I loved is that you were so honest about documenting and owning up to the mistakes that you were making along the way. You didn't like try to sugarcoat anything. You you were upfront about what your challenges were and what mistakes you had made. And so I was curious uh, if you could share a few of your your biggest mess ups on the house and kind of what you <laughs> learned on, in, through the process. Oh yes, I made so many grand mistakes. Um, a lot of them weren't that big of a deal, and a lot of them were big deals. But I mean, I guess it's all part of the process. And, um, I had never built anything before. It was a very, um, ambitious thing for me to sort of think I could do that anyway. So all things considered, I guess I didn't, 
I could have made way more mistakes. I still have all my, you know, all my limbs, all my fingers, all my toes. <laughs> so at the end of the day, that can't be that bad. But, um, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, the, probably the biggest, um, crappiest ones were, um, the things that you just, we weren't really like common knowledge at the time for like tiny houses or like were probably common for other building practices, but nobody really seemed to talk about it in any of the blogs. And that was pretty much the only thing I had to go off of. And, um, I did not do any ventilation in my roof and that was not a good thing. That was my biggest mistake, I would say. And that was, uh, it's a weird one, you know, cause you don't think you're supposed to put holes in your roof. It seems like your roof should have no holes uh, and, or something would be wrong with it if there were. But of course, you know, now I know that you are supposed to have, you know, some airflow under there, or you can have terrible mold and condensation problems, which I did have, but I didn't know about it for quite a while. You know, I built my roof. It was all nice and extremely well sealed. And then years later, when I started working for tumbleweed and teaching workshops and it was in the information that we were supposed to tell people like, Oh yeah, well, make sure, you know, you tell people to vent the roofs. And I was like, the, the what to the, huh? No, <laughs> what, what was that? I'm like, Oh yeah, well, you know, you got to vent your roof or, or you're going to have like huge problems with mold and condensation. And I was like, what? <laughs> so then of course I had to like rip my ceiling apart, um, on the inside. And then I, I took my ridge cap off on the outside and tried to do some you know, remedial stuff up there, but there's not that much you can really do when your roof's on. It's, it's like definitely one of the things you're supposed to do during your building process. So that, that was definitely really dumb, but nobody mentioned it. I had no idea. So hopefully nobody does that anymore, but that was one of the dumber ones. And then I also didn't really understand the whole like rough opening thing for windows, you know, next to every window that you would order, um, it would say like RO, you know, which is obviously like the, you're ordering by the, the opening. So you told them what size the opening is, and then they send you windows that are slightly smaller. Otherwise they won't fit because they have to have wiggle room. And I, when I ordered my windows, just, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I can vaguely remember my conversation with the window guy on the phone, which went something like, he was like, okay, so these are windows. And I was like, yeah, these are the windows that I want. And he was like, no, is that the size of your rough opening or is that the size of the windows? <laughs> and I think I, I vaguely remember being like, Oh, I think it's like, like both or something. And he obviously just missed my like blonde moment. <laughs> and so I ended up with 10 or 12, however many windows in my house, um, windows that were exactly the same size as all my rough openings. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I got to come up with some really fun ways to, you know, go around and widen all of my openings. Cause it's like you, you either need bigger, openings or you need smaller windows and neither of those are cheap or practical. So what should have been this lovely day of putting all my windows in became this like total, like three week delay of just like trying to figure out the best way to possibly like widen these openings. And there's like, there's no best way. Like if you take all my windows out, it's just like, Oh my God, they look so terrible on rough openings or like Texas chainsaw massacre under there. It's like really not good. I was going to ask, like, did you just use like a sawzall or a chainsaw to like hog them out or. Yeah. In the end, we used, um, we used like a skill saw and like <laughs> holding it like vertically. And then we used like sawzall and then we tried chiseling. I tried uh, all kinds of things and it, they all, everyone's a little different. <laughs> Every window is a different failure, but luckily you don't see that stuff when it's all covered up, but that was not, that was also not one of my finer moments. <laughs> and then there's so many other small things. There's way too more things than I can count. I hit myself in the face with a wrench and <laughs> I didn't fall off my roof though. That's good. Macy fell off her roof. We talked to her a couple of weeks weeks ago. Oh no, I remember reading about that and just being like, "Oh dear God." Yeah, I think she broke her wrist. 
Yeah. Yeah. She broke her wrist and her, didn't she break her back or something? Oh my God. Terrible. I think she broke her back. So listen up kids. Don't hurt yourself when you're building your tiny house and don't order windows that are the same size as your rough opening. Yeah. Watch watch that stuff. No fun. (laughs) I totally had one of those moments uh, watching one of Andrew Morrison's talks Uh and he was talking about how it's really important to tie the two long walls of your tiny house together because the weight of the roof it can exert really strong forces on your walls and cause them to basically like spread apart, catastrophically failing. And like, I think my wife, Anne, actually was the one who saw the workshop. She was with me at a conference and she like came running to me and she was like, Ethan, Andrew said that our tiny house is going to collapse on us and we're going to die. And I was like, what? (laughs) But I assured her. So it, it turns out that my, you know, all my loft framing ties those two walls together and and provides that structure but uh she didn't realize that and it was it was like one of those moments where somebody tells you that you did something totally wrong in your house and you're you're like oh my god what am i gonna do to fix this (laughs) yes i know the feeling quite well terrible and as i said thank you for for being honest about that i think that so many people have learned from the mistakes that you made on your blog. I, I won't say that it was worth it for you to make them, but it was certainly, <laughs> you, you certainly benefited a lot of people. Uh, and and you actually then went on to teach people about tiny houses, working for Tumbleweed and, and hosting workshops. And I think that's so cool that you then kind of turned it around and basically started almost a new career teaching about tiny houses. And so I'm curious, you know, what are some of the most common questions that you heard from tiny house hopefuls as a, as a professional tiny house teacher? Um, you know, people really just want to know about toilets. That's pretty much it. (laughs) It's all about the poop. It's all about the poop. Yeah. Toilets and zoning. I would say those were definitely, um, you know, those are both very broad, broad categories there. You can imagine how, um, the questions could go in either one of those, but, um, of course. Basically, those were the people's biggest concerns, which I totally understand because honestly, they were probably my biggest concerns as well going into it. That's pretty much it. You know, you tell people about a tiny house and they're like, wait, you're going to shit in a bucket? (laughs) I'm like, wait, where are you going to put that thing? So, you know, that was definitely the most frequently asked questions. But toilets are my favorite subject. (laughs) When I taught the workshops, I don't know, it was just, there's so many opportunities to laugh. (laughs) Of course. And so what, what kind of composting toilet do you have in your tiny house? Um, I have just a basic um, bucket and sawdust type system. I built a nice little wooden surround for it, but the the very unglorified bucket, basically. <laughs> Me too, and I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Yeah, you know, I was really fine. I I really um, didn't have any, you know, major complaints about that. So that was it's kind of kind of delightful to not have to have you know plumbing. And then, of course, on the zoning question, that's, you know, the the toilet question is actually quite easy to answer. And then the zoning question is nearly impossible to answer. Yes, nearly impossible to answer for sure. So many different aspects of that. And apparently there's 17,000 different like code sections across the U.S. So what was your situation where you parked your tiny house? Was it was it legal for you to be in a tiny house? Oh, no, no, not at all. Although I was very lucky. Um because I never had any problems. I still knock on wood when I say that, even though it's not there anymore. It's like, don't need to, don't need to do that anymore. But yeah, I, I was worried about it all the time. I had constant panic the first 
at least for the first six months to a year, I was really, really, really nervous about it. But I was very lucky that in all the time that we were there, I never had any problems. And when I moved away from the space, it was just because we were moving. It wasn't because of anything. So really, it was just we were we were really, really lucky to not have had any zoning problems because we were definitely not in the in the right legally. <laughs> Right, so you just you don't want to have that nightmare scenario where you come home and there's there's a notice posted on your on your front door that you have to move. Yes, exactly. That was like my panic was I would always like look in the left hand corner of my window. I don't know why I expected it to be there, but like I w- that was where I was like most afraid of it being. I was just like, no, I don't want to see anything in my window, and I never did. So lucky, lucky me. And so you successfully navigated that for for five years. Yeah, it was a little over five years. I I lived in it for about a couple of months during the building process before I moved it up here. Um, I built it in Southern California and then I moved it North when I was, um, finished building. And then, yeah, so it was in the same spot for just over five years. And you, you somewhat famously shoveled horse poop in exchange for your rent. Is that correct? (laughs) I did it for exchange uh, for a portion of my rent. Yes. And I did that every other day for five, I think it was four and a half years or something. I stopped um, about six months before we moved because it was in the beginning, I, I was really, really, really broke and I had no um, means of affording what they sort of needed me to pay them. So I started doing that in um, exchange, which was not super weird for me because ideal. <laughs> My mom had horses all growing up. So shoveling horse manure, I don't even know how many tons of horse manure. I mean, it probably would be a very impressive sounding number until you think about what it actually is. But um, yeah, that was, that was fun. And then one day I just, you know, when I was a lot more stable, I'd been doing it for so many years. And I was like, I realized that I had shoveled horse manure individual times in the past however many years four and a half years then I had washed my hair and I was absolutely appalled by that and then I was like I don't even have horses and then that was it I was just selling horse manure I had those two thoughts really close together and I was like nope okay this isn't gonna work out anywhere <laughs> I'm gonna have to stop doing this and and also somewhat famously you are a harp player and I know that you well I guess I'll ask you how many harps did you have in your tiny house at any given time <laughs> At any given time, for a long time, I had only one, so that makes me sound pretty good. Uh, and then for a short period of time, I had oh so many harps, way, way, way too many harps. I think at the end there, I had, let's see, that would have been three, and then we had a few hanging from the ceiling, so I guess five. Yeah, it became kind of a madhouse. Harp hoarders. Um, there. Harp, harp hoarders, anonymous. Well, I'm not anonymous now. <laughs> Oh dear, they're coming for me. So how did the tiny house shape your your music and your music career? It just was so instrumental. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that was going to be funny. And it probably wasn't for anybody. I mean, instrumental pun intended. Um, it was totally the only way I was going to be able to, to do anything with my music. So really the tiny house is responsible for my um, greater happiness and career now, I guess, which is pretty much full-time music. Um but yeah, the the whole means for the tiny house, the whole, you know, everything was just so that I could play music. That was the, that was the goal. And I knew it was going to be so expensive to do that, um, up here to, to live here at all. And I was not expecting to make a lot of money, which was good because <laughs> I didn't. And, um, the tiny house was just, it facilitated all of my, 
um, all of my dreams. That sounds so tacky, but like it really did. <laughs> it made it so that I could, you know, basically make nothing as I thought I would, as I did and not have it be a colossal problem. So yeah, it was, and it, you know, it was such a, it's such a beautiful environment in there. And when you've got everything just the way you want it and you can, you know, sort of sit in that space. I wrote, I wrote a lot of songs in the tiny house. That's awesome. And I, I just, I see so many parallels between your story and my own just you know, when I was dreaming of my tiny house and kind of working full time in this corporate type job, money wasn't the problem. It was it was the time and the energy. And I at that point, I just wanted to be playing music and, you know, working on my own business. And I just had no energy at the end of every day. And so it was kind of the same thing. You know, a tiny house allows you to make so much less money which then gives you the time to to work on those things. And ultimately, now I have my own business and I do make money. But it's all because of the the free time and the kind of flexibility that the tiny house gave me to to be able to not make money for a while. Exactly. Yeah, same. I have to ask you, and of course, um, you've you've been using the past tense that since you moved. And, you know, people hear about tiny house dwellers who are no longer living tiny and think that it's somehow proof that like tiny house living isn't sustainable, which I disagree with. Um, so you're no longer living in your tiny house full time. Uh, what what happened? Yeah, I'm not anymore. But j- just laughing at what you said there, because I think it is funny. You know, you live in it for, you know, however long and then you move out and like, oh, yeah, you just failed. And it's like... <laughs> five years is or however long that anyone's ever lived in, in anything. It's like, that's not really like, it obviously worked well enough to be there for that amount of time. Like, like, Oh, those five years were just a failure that never worked the whole time. I think that's really a funny attitude that people often take when you say that you've moved out of it. Whereas if you moved out of any other situation doing anything else, people would just be like, Oh, great. You know, like life goes on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I moved out just a little over six months ago now, I guess. And when I built the house, I had intended to live in it forever. <laughs> but of course, I had also intended on being single and a bunch of other things that did not end up coming to coming to be. But um, it, it, the tiny house worked so, so wonderfully for me for the first three and a half years. It was absolutely perfect. I just couldn't have imagined anything really being any better. And that was when those were um, maybe three years, three and a half years or so. Yeah, for the first six months. And then I started working for Tumbleweed. And then that was really ideal because my art and my creativity were sort of like side things at that time. Once I started working for Tumbleweed because I didn't really need to focus on it so much. And then when I left Tumbleweed, I started, um, I became like fully self-employed and harps moved in and sewing machines moved in and fabric, hundreds of yards of fabric moved in. And it suddenly became a lot more challenging. I really needed a workspace was what it was really in the end. The only thing about the tiny house that, that, really didn't work for me was just that I couldn't have it be my workspace and my living space because, you know, fabric and sewing machines and like I cut my fabric on my car and I made clothes for people for a lot of that time. And, you know, if it's raining or if there's bird poo on your car or if it's the wind is blowing, you know, you get wonky clothes because that was my sewing table was my car hood. So it just kind of became a little bit mental at that point. And if I had uh, workspace, it would have been really different because sleeping and eating and cooking and doing all the life things in my tiny house were so delightful. Like I absolutely love all those aspects because I really designed it around that, but I definitely didn't design it for everything that it sort of became. And then, you know, 
I started teaching herb lessons. So then I bought a herb so that I could rent the harp out. But of course, then when the harp's not getting rented out, then you have to have a harp in your house. And <laughs> it was just totally mental. And, you know, we, we, we make harps now. So that's also crazy. So then we have to make prototypes and then the prototypes are hanging from the ceiling. It's like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Um, but basically it's just was not even something we were trying to do. We weren't really trying to move out. We weren't really trying to find a different situation, but we ended up coming upon this amazing house that, um, just a few miles down the road, that was pretty much everything we'd ever, like either of us had ever cared about in a house. And like, neither of us really liked houses very much because we really loved our tiny house. And, you know, when you've built something and it's exactly the way you want it to be, it's hard to like, like things that aren't the way you exactly the way you want them, you know? So I, I typically really didn't like houses very much, but this place was just really crazy cool. And, um, we got a ton of help from Zach's family, my boyfriend's family to get a down payment down. And it all ended up kind of working out really well. And, um, now we both have tons of space. The house is a thousand square feet. It's actually really disturbing when I think about how much, bigger it is. And I actually had a really difficult transition period living here that I didn't really realize was actually what was going on. But like, we had some very funny spatial problems because like, there's so much more of it than I'd ever had before. And like, it was really, really weird. Like, you know, you'd think you'd just be like, yeah, Hey, great space. Awesome. And it would just be like, you just, you know, be fine. But it was like upsizing was really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine. And you know, so it seems like you've solved the problem of now Now you have space in your house to have that workspace. Yes. Now I do. I have I have a whole room that only has harps and sewing things and everything. And it's, it's really, really delightful. And there are, you know, having workspace was really, it was definitely the biggest factor. And Zach has a garage now, which is great because um, he didn't used to, he does metal fabrication. So he didn't get to have any of his stuff in the tiny house, but, um, you know, he was working out of his parents' garage and it really wasn't ideal. So, um, the workspace thing is just so delightful. I really, I really appreciate that. But, you know, if circumstances had worked out differently, if I had just gotten a workspace and continued to live in the tiny house and didn't have to have all that stuff going on there, it would have still, that would have been fine as well. But having everything in the same spot is, is quite delightful actually. The house is, is really old and it's super cute and it's got, you know, proper wooden shingles and like it's, I think it's 100 and, 120 years old or something. So it's, it's definitely um, a really amazing situation that I am just really, I'm really glad that it went in this direction, but I could never have seen that happening. I was so down on houses. I was like, oh, houses on the ground. Ew, <laughs> I can take mine away. But here I am now living in a house on the ground. And it sounds like you maybe never would have come to appreciate the house that you have now or even ever considered home ownership if it wasn't for the tiny house kind of being your introduction to that and kind of showing you what do I like about this what don't I like about this and what what do I need in the next iteration the next round absolutely and um, the only reason that any of this is possible is because we aren't uh, haven't got it quite to that point yet but we will be renting the tiny house out along with um, another um, section of the downstairs area and that is the only way that we would be able to do any of this at all because to afford the yeah the cost it's just uh, there's definitely no way that that would um, that would work out so really the tiny house is and my my um, attitude on tiny houses in general or, or, you know, 
this could, I suppose, parallel in a lot of other parts of your life and such, but like the tiny house I built to make my life easier. And I believe that they are to make your life easier. And if it's making your life easier, then that's perfect. As long as it's making your life easier, then it's great. And at a certain point, it sort of stopped the situation that I was in sort of was not making my life easier. It was sort of making it harder, I suppose. And it was, it's sort of odd because it it was more that my goals expanded, like outgrew the tiny house. It was like, I had previously just wanted to live really simply and not make very much money and not do a whole lot and just kind of hang out in my tiny house. And that was like my sort of whole life plan. And then I sort of got really ambitious and wanted to try to do more stuff with music. And, um, and I was self-employed. I really, you know, changed a lot in that time frame. And then, you know, with all the creative space that I was needing, it just really wasn't making my life easier anymore. And I had no internet because at the time I didn't want to have internet in there, but then, you know, we were sort of in a, <laughs> enough living in a field that it was it, at that point, it was going to be really difficult for that to happen. And then it sort of became a lot less, it was not no longer making my life easier, essentially. So now it is again, making my life easier because my housing situation is made possible because of it. So I think that's a good way to look at it and probably a healthy way to look at it so that it doesn't have to be this be all end all or what have you, you know, it's like, it's, it's there to make your life easier. And if it doesn't make your life easier, then, you know, make changes until it can. So that's kind of my take on it now. Speaking of harps, I think the last time I saw you, you had version two prototype of uh, an aluminum harp. Is that what it's made out of? Yes, that is that is the harp. That was actually um, prototype three. Prototype one pretty much never left pretty much never left the ground, but, but on prototype three, I'm actually still playing the one that, the one that you saw, um, at the Jamboree in Texas. And so for those who are listening and obviously aren't going to get to see one, tell us about them. You know, what are they for? What do they look like? Where can people learn more about them? So, um, as a harpist, you are pretty much stuck with this big fat instrument that you can't take anywhere. (laughs) And I grew really frustrated with that because I do a lot of traveling. When I uh, was building my tiny house, I started taking up the banjo. And so um, mostly just so I could travel with it because I was tired of not being able to take a harp with me. So I took up the banjo so I could travel with it. But of course, I don't really play the banjo very well. So it didn't really help me that much because I couldn't like book gigs with it or anything because it definitely wasn't wasn't really that good at, at it or anything. So um, but I would always travel for all my tumbleweed workshops. I'd just shove all my clothes into my banjo case and then go, you know, go from there because I just really feel the need to have an instrument with me as often as possible. So, um, I started looking around for a harp that was small enough to fit in the overhead bin once I, you know, became self-employed and started making music kind of a bigger part of my life. Cause I was like, boy, how cool would it be if I could, you know, go travel places and then also get gigs like everyone else that plays small instruments can. (laughs) So, um, I was really not finding what I was looking for that already existed out there. For some reason they were aesthetically or the range wasn't quite right or just, I, I really wasn't finding what I needed. And so I decided to design my own harp, uh, which was very ambitious because I've never designed anything of that scale. I suppose that, you know, there's a lot of instruments are very, have to be very precise. There's a lot of very specific things about it. And I knew absolutely nothing. The only thing I knew was how to play the harp. So I did just tons and tons of research 
and came up with very little information. So I ended up just sort of basing it off of vague guesses and um, approximations from other instruments that I had lying around. And um, we made one that was real terrible. <laughs> and it was all my fault. My boyfriend's absolutely you know, fantastic metal fabricator. So everyone was absolutely perfectly made. It's just my approximations were off. <laughs> yeah. Design, but goes back to how important design is again. Um, and yeah, so we made the first one, which was terrible. We made the second one, which was playable, thankfully, because if I'd made two that were not really good, that would have been really difficult. But I, me, you know, I learned a lot on the second one. I took it a few places. I took it to the Tain House conference that I, which is, I think, where I first uh, met you, actually. And um, yes. so that was that was good. It made a couple trips that one, but it had enough flaws that I really, it really wasn't quite a full instrument. And then we finally made the third one. Actually, it tricked, <laughs> sort of feel bad about it, but I kind of tricked Zach into making it for me in that time frame because VA had called me and was like, "Hey, do you want to like?" play some music at the jamboree. And I was like, yeah, that'd be totally fabulous. I was like, but I'm going to need to like have a harp be done by that time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be great. So I talked to Zach and I was like, Hey, I really want to go to the tiny house jamboree and play my harp there because how cool would that be? And he's like, yeah, that's way cool. You should do that. And I was like, yeah, but uh, I don't have a harp. So <laughs> do you think you can make me a harp in a month? And he was like, um, so we actually finished it at like four in the morning. And I left at like six in the morning. I got no sleep that night. We put the very last levers on it and everything. And the, the case had gotten made by the my favorite wood harp company that's down in Southern California had just gotten shipped up. So we just had a case and we just had a harp. And it was, it was crazy that it all got done in time. But I feel kind of bad for making him do that. <laughs> but there you go. Sometimes deadlines are helpful. But yeah, at this point, we're just I'm just playing this one all, all over the place. It's the only really, uh, it's the only thing I really want to play for my own my own music. I am a singer songwriter and it's really well suited to that because it's not super loud and, um, big, wonderful wooden harps are a lot louder and, um, which is fabulous for, you know, a lot of applications, but for songwriting and for myself personally, I talk really loudly, <laughs> but I don't sing very loudly for some reason. So it's nice to have something that is more, um, complimentary to the sort of like dynamic that I'm going for. So at this point I'm just playing that one, um, incessantly. I traveled, with it to Hawaii and I paid for my vacation, which was awesome and booked a couple of gigs out there and had a lot of fun. And, um, so I'm planning future trips and such, but in the meantime, um, for now I'm just playing that one. We'll make another one at some point soon. And then hopefully, um, that one will be like the perfect, most amazing harp ever. But, um, this one's pretty darn close and it's, um, yeah, I absolutely love it. It's the tiny house of harps. Yes. <laughs> it's a tiny house of harps. It's the overhead bin. Of harps. So the one thing that I like to ask uh, everyone who comes on the show um, is what are three resources? So books, music, movies, doesn't have to be tiny house related, just three things that have inspired you that you'd like to share with others. Three things that have inspired me that I would like to share with others. Oh, I guess so many things are going to be music for me. <laughs> one of them would have to be just, you know, all of the the, the blogs that I read that were really inspiring to me in that time frame, and, you know, just kind of getting, get it, that got me off the ground. What about music? What's some good music? Some, what's some good music? <laughs> some good music. There's got to be two good pieces of music that you are listening to right now. Yes, definitely. Um, right now, what am I listening to that I'm really super into? 
Um, well, if anybody wants to hear other harp music that's really beautiful, um, there's a fabulous harpist and vocalist named Lorena McKennett. That's from she's from Canada, and her music was was endlessly inspiring to me growing up, and um, I blasted <laughs> her music out many times when I built my house, which isn't really the kind of music that you blast. It's sort of somber <laughs> type stuff, but I still did anyway. Sometimes it just felt right. So, um, yeah, she's, she's definitely worth looking up musically. And then, oh, there's a song by the Lumineers that's called Cleopatra. And, um, I'm actually, I filmed a, a music video for it. I haven't put it out yet, but I, it was outside of my tiny house back in October, right before I moved out. And, um, it's just a really, really, really fabulous song. And, um, they have a, some really other great music as well, I guess. So check out the Lumineers. <laughs> I guess probably a lot of people would know about them because they're pretty much like famous and stuff, but they are fabulous. Ella Don Jenkins. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Ella Don Jenkins for your time today. You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to Ella's music, tiny house, and recommended resources at thetinyhouse.net slash Ella. That's thetinyhouse.net slash E-L-L-A. And I need your feedback. This is now the sixth episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. What do you like? What don't you like? What guests would you like to hear on the show? Email me with your feedback at podcast at thetinyhouse.net. Again, send me your feedback to podcast at thetinyhouse.net. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to subscribe in whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribing ensures that you'll never miss an episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast and helps show me the love. And finally, if you're looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house, check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on your tiny house planning. Save hundreds of hours on research and thousands of dollars on your build with Tiny House Decisions. Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's all for now. Talk to you next week on another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.